0: Welcome to today's reading of the Sioux City Journal for Wednesday, December 20th, 2023. I'm your reader, Scott Splevik, and here is our first story. It's entitled A Gift from the Past, How Dort University Ended Up with 100-Year-Old Record Players. It's written by Jared McNett, and the dateline is Sioux Center, Iowa. Dort University professor Mark Volkers recently experienced something wholly unfamiliar while teaching his mass media class. As part of a lecture on the history of media technology, the school's digital media production instructor cranked up a phonograph from the early 20th century and played a piece of scratchy-sounding big band music. The 26 students taking the course then began to move. And it was the first time in my entire teaching career that I had students dancing right in class, Volkers marveled. The career first for Volkers wouldn't have been possible without a recently don- a recent donation by an 84-year-old Sioux City man. In late November, Erwin Sowell, who built and designed tools for Prince manufacturing, gifted six Victrola-style phonographs, which average 100 years in age, and hundreds of recordings to the Sioux Center School. Sowell's thinking in giving up the six... Maybe Dort can get some use out of them and appreciate them, he said. For years, Volkers said, he'd kept his eyes peeled for high-quality Victrola phonographs, which were common in middle-class homes during the 1910s and 1920s. Victrola was a brand-name phonograph manufactured by the Victor Talking Machine Company, but the name of the company's popular floor-height cabinet-style phonograph became something of a catch-all term for that type of phonograph, which was produced by several companies. A fellow Dort staffer knew about Volker's phonograph interests and eventually came across Sol's collection. Soul was preparing to move into the Sunrise Retirement Community, and he and his kids were trying to figure out a way to find a new home for the equipment. In 1986, Sol said he bought the first of the six he passed on to Dort, Over the next 20 years he bought a few more one of the pieces he snatched up was a cheney talking machine company phonograph which had its production ended more than 90 years ago he said the oldest phonograph was from about 1915. two edison players were from 1918 and 1919. i was in lawson one time and happened to buy one and that got me started soul said about his phonograph buying habits It was kind of broken down, and I bought it to fix it up and restart it because I like to work on stuff like that. So then I just got the bug. American inventor Thomas Edison introduced the cylinder phonograph in 1877. Cylinder phonographs, which played cylinder records rather than discs, dominated the market through the turn of the century until they were displaced by disc records. The Edison Company wouldn't fully embrace discs until the 1910s, when competitors such as Columbia and the Victor Talking Machine Company were well established. An early format war, in which a given company's media system only plays back that company's media format, took hold. A much later and better remembered format war pitted VHS tapes against Betamax. If you owned an Edison, you had to buy Edison records, and they're very thick, double the thickness of a normal record, and they're made out of shellac, which is bug excrement from Southeast Asia, Volkers said. In addition to wanting to tinker with pieces of music history, Soul had another motivation for his burgeoning hobby. I just wanted to play records mostly, he said. Big man music from the 30s and 40s like Glenn Miller and Tommy Dorsey. Those kind of guys. And silly music, whatever I could find. One example of a silly record Soul remembers fondly is a piece from about 1910, that he said has someone telling a story laughing after every word he said. Volkers said two of the six phonographs he received from Sol were in perfect working order. There's a third I can get working, no problem, and a fourth, probably. Two of them need work, he said. Their innards are identical to the other two that are working, so it's a matter, I think, of putting things back together. Sol said an issue he occasionally encountered is the main frame of a phonograph breaking, rendering the device unplayable. Dad, when he was a tool engineer, made all his replacement pieces on his lathe at home. He'd make them from scratch, Sol's son Mark said about the repair process. As fate would have it, Irvin Sol's own father would also do maintenance work on phonographs the family had. According to Volkers, the phonographs he got to have a big metal tube that would be referred to today as a speaker. The doors of several of the phonographs have curly Q lattice work, and behind them a big metal speaker with a baffle. So you have a lever you can push or pull, and it moves a baffle into that metal speaker to close it off and get softer. If you push the lever, it pushes the baffle back out and opens it up. That's how you control the volume. It's very physical, Volkers said. To get the phonographs to play, Volkers said a person needed to crank them. You've got to thread the handle on the side of the machine and then crank it up. The machine plays 78 records, a format in which the record spins at 78 revolutions per minute and has relatively wide grooves. These fast spinning records only had one song per side. Much later, vinyl long play or LP records would spin at a leisurely 33 and a third revolutions per minute with much finer grooves lp records hold entire albums when soul was young he said he used to deliver papers to an old man who would play 78s for him because of soul's gift to dort a whole new generation of young people can now experience music from a bygone era Volker said such a gift provides a much more tangible history for students and helps close some loops on the development of sound technology you know i always tell my students you are stepping into a stream of history that goes back over 100 years. We need to know where the stream comes from, Volkers said. Next is an article entitled, Sheldon Connected to Regional Water System. It's written by Nick Hytrek. The dateline is Sheldon, Iowa. Water from the Lewis and Clark Regional Water System began flowing into Sheldon Homes and Businesses Tuesday. The city becomes the 18th of the 20 member cities and rural water districts to be connected to the system, which was authorized in 2000 and began delivering water in 2012. My thanks go out to the first city council that made the bold decision to join the organization, as well as the numerous local, state, and federal legislators that have put forth a tremendous amount of effort to make this a reality for the residents of Sheldon. Not only will this improve the quality of life for us, but it will also enhance the economic development of this community for many years to come, Sheldon Mayor Greg Yeels said in a news release. The Lewis and Clark Regional Water System, which has its administrative offices in T, began construction in 2004. Once completed, the system will cover approximately 5,000 square miles with 337 miles of pipeline providing more than 44 million gallons per day to 350,000 people in 15 member cities and five rural water systems in Iowa, South Dakota, and Minnesota from wells that tap into an aquifer adjacent to the Missouri River near Vermilion. A heartfelt congratulations to our good friends and neighbors in Sheldon on finally being connected to the Lewis and Clark Regional Water System All good things are worth the wait, and that is certainly true of the water that is now flowing to Sheldon, said Murray Holstein, chairman of the Lewis and Clark Executive Committee and Sioux Center, Iowa, utilities manager. Iowa members Sioux Center and Hull were connected earlier this year with the addition of Sheldon. The remaining cities to be connected are Madison, South Dakota, and Sibley, Iowa, Madison is expected to be connected in mid-2024 and Sibley in spring or summer 2025. Work has begun on a $125 billion expansion to increase the system's capacity to 60 million gallons per day. A total of $584 million in federal, state, and local funds has been spent or committed thus far to the project. In another article written by Nick Heitrich, Sioux City Police Arrest Shooting Suspect. Sioux City Police have arrested a man suspected of shooting another man in the hand on in October. Orlando Heinzman age 25, of Sioux City was arrested and booked into the Woodbury County Jail early Tuesday on charges of willful injury causing serious injury and going armed with intent. He's being held in lieu of $27,000 bond. Hinsman was accused of shooting... Fernando Murillo the morning of October the 7th near West 3rd and George Streets. According to court documents, Murillo was walking to work when he noticed a vehicle pass him, turn around, and stop. Murillo told police he saw a handgun pointed out the window as the vehicle slowly advanced toward him and the driver threatened to rob him. The driver then fired one shot, striking Murillo in the left hand, and drove away. Murillo ran home and was taken to the hospital, where his pinky was removed because of the gunshot. Police obtained a spent shell casing from the scene. Using video surveillance footage from a business in the area of the shooting, investigators were able to identify the vehicle and hinsmen. Police investigating another shooting in which Hinsman was a suspect were able to identify the pistol as one found discarded earlier and tests determined the shell casing from Murillo's shooting had been fired from the same gun as two shell casings found in the other shooting incident. Hinsman had been arrested on October the 19th in connection with an October the 18th incident in the 1500 block of West 20th Street in which he was accused of firing two shots at a woman during a verbal altercation. He has pleaded not guilty of intimidation with a dangerous weapon, assault while participating in a felony, and assault while displaying a dangerous weapon. Hensman is charged in a separate incident with displaying a gun to a man delivering appliances in the 4200 block of Hickory Lane on September the 28th. He pleaded not guilty of assault while displaying a a dangerous weapon. He's also pleaded not guilty to domestic abuse assault for September 22nd incident in which he's charged with striking a woman. Hinsman, who awaits trial in these three cases, had bonded out of jail on Wednesday prior to his Tuesday arrest. Now here's some news briefs. Sioux City announces free downtown ramp parking during holidays. Four city ramps, Discovery, Heritage, MLK, and Rivers Landing, will be free to use for the holidays. The free ramp parking begins at 5 p.m. Friday and ends at 5 a.m. December the 26th. Visitors to the ramps will also enjoy free parking from 5 p.m. December the 29th until 5 a.m. January 2nd. In addition, Discovery Ramp will be free to use from 5 p.m. Friday through 5 a.m. January 2nd. The Downtown Sioux City Parking Ramp locations are Discovery Parking Ramp, 419 Jones Street, Heritage Parking Ramp, 312 Jackson Street, Martin Luther King Jr. Ground Transportation Center, 5th and Nebraska Streets, Rivers Landing Parking Ramp, 419 Douglas Street. Additional information can be found at sioux-city.org slash parking. Questions may be directed to Parking and Meter Operations Supervisor, Tiffany Claiborne at Area Code 712, 279-6381. Next, Sioux City seeking proposals for residential lots in Morningside. The City of Sioux City is soliciting proposals from developers interested in acquiring city-owned lots in Morningside and constructing housing units on them. The City said in a statement that the lots are located at 4001 Glen Avenue, 2500 South St. Auburn Street and 4023 through 425 South Ruston Street. All qualified developers are invited to submit proposals for the construction of new homes on these sites. Proposals are due by 4 p.m. on January 31st. All design and construction must comply with local codes and ordinances. The selected entity will be responsible for breaking ground no later than October the 1st, 2024. The project must be economical, attractive, durable, sustainable, and visually compatible with the neighborhood. The vision for development at this site includes a design that must accommodate modern development with off-street parking and green space, the statement said. The city will negotiate with the project's completion date with the selected entity. The RFP can be found at sue cityorg slash available or by contacting Jill Wanderscheid, Neighborhood Services Manager, at area code 712 224 5136. One of a kind car Museum debuts, the dateline is Lamar's. The Lamar's Art Center will host That's Amore, a Valentine's Day red carpet fundraising event celebrating 50 years of the Art Center while featuring the debut of a new one-of-a-kind car museum from 6 to 10 p.m. February 10, 2024. The event will take place at The Garage at 800, 800 Prospect Street Southwest, which features a collection of classic automobiles, vintage gas slash oil and automotive signs and other memorabilia. The Garage at 800 is owned by Mike and Cheryl Wells, who say the space can be used as a venue for corporate events and other special occasions. I love cars and I love Lamars, said Mike Wells, who added that the car museum will recreate downtown Lamars in the 1950s, including a Chevy dealership, standard gas station, the Royal Movie Theater, and more. The That's Amore part of the program will feature live music, dancing, and authentic Italian cuisine, by Steve Papero and restaurateur Joe Sitzman. That's Amore will also feature a live auction with proceeds going towards supporting the Lamar's Art Center and its programs. For more information about the Lamar's Art Center, go to lamarsart.com. Ticket information on That's Amore can be found at eventbrite.com slash e slash e seven seven four zero nine eight zero nine seven two four seven next up is an article entitled retailers improving delivery speeds it comes from the associated press and the dateline is new york haven't ordered any of your holiday gifts yet well, you might find solace in discovering some of America's biggest retailers are working to increase their shipping speeds to please shoppers expecting faster and faster deliveries. Walmart, Target, and Amazon are all in on the shipping wars, a move retail experts say will help them maintain a competitive edge against low-cost Chinese retailers Shantxin and Temu For Walmart and Target, Their investments are also aimed at narrowing the gap in delivery speed with Amazon, which has set the standard for fast shipping and remains the king of speed. Amazon packages have been arriving at the doors of prime customers even faster this year under the company's new distribution model, which divides the country into eight regions and predominantly ships items from warehouses in those areas. The idea is to get shipments to travel shorter distances with fewer touch points which helps the company not only speed up deliveries, but also cuts down on costs. Previously, the Seattle-based e-commerce giant used to fulfill orders from warehouses across the country. In July, it says 76% of customer orders were being fulfilled within their region, up from 62% before the change. We'll remain on pace to deliver the fastest delivery speeds for Prime customers in our 29-year history, Amazon CEO Andy Jassy said in October during an earnings call with analysts. Company executives noted faster shipping also is being driven by Amazon's expansion of same-day delivery, which first rolled out in 2015 to Prime members who currently pay $139 a year for free two-day shipping and other perks. Same-day delivery sites are smaller warehouses that are located in metro areas and predominantly store the top 100,000 products customers want. Amazon vice president of delivery experience, Sarah Matthew, said the company had 55 of these sites in the U.S. and plans to double the number in coming years. Psychologically, fast delivery is very important to the consumer when ordering online, said Neil Saunders, managing director of Global Data Data Retail. That is why everyone is trying to push out more into this space, even though it's very expensive to support and it often requires a lot of new infrastructure. From the Nation and World page, Court Block's Trump bid. Colorado justices deem him ineligible under the 14th Amendment. This is by Nicholas Riccardi of the Associated Press and the dateline is Denver. The Colorado Supreme Court on Tuesday declared former President Donald Trump ineligible for the White House under the U.S. Constitution's Insurrection Clause and removed him from the state's presidential primary ballot, setting up a likely showdown in the nation's highest court to decide whether the front runner for the GOP nomination can remain in the race. The decision from a court whose justices were all appointed by democratic governors marks the first time in history that section three of the 14th Amendment has been used to disqualify a presidential candidate. A majority of the court holds that Trump is disqualified from holding the office of president under section three of the 14th amendment. The court wrote in its four to three decision, Colorado's highest court overturned a ruling from a district court judge who found that Trump incited an insurrection for his role in the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol, but said he could not be barred from the ballot because it was unclear that the provision was intended to cover the presidency. The court stayed its decision until January 4th, or until the U.S. Supreme Court rules on the case. We do not reach these conclusions lightly, the court's majority wrote. We are mindful of the magnitude and weight of the questions now before us. We are likewise mindful of our solemn duty to apply the law without fear or favor and without being swayed by public reaction to the decisions that the new that the law mandates we reach. Trump's attorneys had promised to appeal any disqualification immediately to the nation's highest court, which has the final say about constitutional matters. His campaign said it was working on a response to the ruling. Trump lost Colorado by 13 percentage points in 2020 and doesn't need the state to win next year's presidential election, But the danger for the former president is that more courts and election officials will follow Colorado's lead and exclude Trump from must-win states. Colorado officials say the issue must be settled by January 5th, the deadline for the state to print its presidential primary ballots. Dozens of lawsuits were filed nationally to disqualify Trump under Section 3, which was designed to keep former Confederates from returning to government after the Civil War. It bars from office anyone who swore an oath to support the Constitution and then engaged in insurrection or rebellion against it and has been used only a handful of times since the decade after the Civil War. Next, funeral honors iconic jurist. President, Chief Justice, eulogize late trailblazer Sandra Day O'Connor. This is written by Lindsay Whitehurst and Seung min Kim of the Associated Press and the dateline is Washington. Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, the Arizona rancher's daughter who became a voice of moderate conservatism as the first woman on the U.S. Supreme Court, was memorialized by President Joe Biden on Tuesday as a pioneer in the legal world who inspired generations of women Biden and Chief Justice John Roberts were among those who eulogized O'Connor at Washington National Cathedral. O'Connor retired from the High Court in 2006 after more than two decades and died December 1st at the age of 93. The president, a longtime senator who once chaired the Senate Judiciary Committee, began his remarks by recalling her 1981 confirmation hearing a day Biden describes as momentous because of the history that she would make on the nation's most powerful court. He called her a pioneer in her own right who shattered barriers in both the political and legal worlds along with the nation's consciousness. He said that her principles were deeply held and of the highest order. How she embodied embodied such attributes under such pressure and scrutiny helped empower generations of women in every part of American life, including the court itself, helping to open doors, secure freedoms, and move that and prove that a woman can not only do anything a man can do, but many times do it a hell of a lot, a heck of a lot better, the president said. Biden added, excuse my language, father. Roberts also highlighted O'Connor's trailblazing career and said her leadership shaped the legal profession, making it clear that justices were both men and women. She had a distinct style during arguments, often jumping in with a question that cut to the heart of a case, he said. That put her most important issues on the table quickly, in line with one of her favorite sayings, get it done. She was so successful that the barriers she broke down are almost unthinkable today, Roberts said, calling her a strong, influential, and iconic jurist. O'Connor was nominated in 1981 by President Ronald Reagan. Largely unknown on the national scene until her appointment, she would come to be referred to by commentators as the nation's most powerful woman and wielded considerable influence on the nine-member court. Dozens killed in Israeli strikes in southern Gaza. UN council members again postpone vote in attempt to halt fighting. This comes from the Associated Press on the dateline, Rafa on the Gaza Strip. The Israeli army raided and detained a staff at two of the last functioning hospitals in Gaza's north, where the defense minister said Tuesday that troops were working to completely clear out Hamas militants. Israel bombarded towns across southern Gaza with airstrikes, killing at least 45 Palestinians and pressing ahead with its offensive and with renewed backing from the United States despite rising international alarm. UN Security Council members were in in intense negotiations Tuesday on an Arab-sponsored resolution to spur desperately needed humanitarian aid deliveries to Gaza during some kind of halt in the fighting trying to avoid another veto by the USA vote on the resolution, first postponed from Monday, was pushed back again until Wednesday as the U.S. asked for more time. The Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Gallant said Israeli forces were entering Hamas's tunnel network in northern Gaza as part of a final clearing of militants from the region. The health ministry in Hamas run Gaza said Tuesday the death toll since the start of the war on October the 7th rose to more than 19,600. Google will pay $700 million in App Store settlement. Company reaches deal over anti competitive payment practices. This also comes from the Associated Press. Google agreed to pay $700 million and make other concessions to settle allegations that it stifled competition against its Android app store, the same issue that went to trial in another case that could result in bigger changes. Though Google struck the deal with the state attorneys general in September, the settlement's terms weren't revealed until late Monday in documents filed in San Francisco Federal Court. The disclosure came a week after a federal court jury rebuked Google for deploying anti-competitive tactics in its Play Store for Android apps. The deal includes $630 million to compensate U.S. consumers funneled into a payment processing system that state attorneys general alleged drove up the prices for digital transactions within apps downloaded from the Play Store. That store caters to the Android software that powers most of the world's smartphones. Google collects commissions ranging from 15% to 30% on in-app purchases. Fees state attorney generals contend drove prices higher than they would have been if there was an open market for payment processing. Eligible consumers will receive at least $2, according to the deal, and may get additional payments. You are listening to the Sioux City Journal on IRIS, the Iowa radio reading information service for the blind. All material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of the blind and print disabled. I'm your reader, Scott Blavik. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS program, please give us a call at area code 515-243-6833. Under the Digest heading on the Nation and World page, groups sue over a new Texas migrant law. The dateline is Austin, Texas. The White House and Mexico's president on Tuesday came out strongly against a new Texas law that would allow police to arrest migrants who illegally cross into the U.S. and empower local judges to order them to leave the country. Also Tuesday, civil rights groups and Texas's largest border County filed a lawsuit calling the measure that Republican Governor Greg Abbott signed into law less than 24 hours earlier an unconstitutional reach over the U.S. government's authority on immigration. The Texas law could be a test of how aggressively a state can limit immigration amid a surge in illegal crossings in remote areas that has escalated pressure on Congress to reach a deal on asylum. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean Pierre criticized the state's approach as extreme and dehumanizing. She would not say whether the the Justice Department would challenge the law. And IRS to waive $1 billion in back tax penalties. The dateline is Washington. The IRS said Tuesday it will waive penalty fees for people who fail to pay back taxes that total less than $100,000 per year for tax years 2020 and 2021. Nearly 5 billion people, businesses and tax-exempt organizations, most making under $400,000 per year, will be eligible for the relief starting this week, which totals about $1 billion, the agency said the IRS temporarily suspended mailing automated reminders to pay overdue tax bills during the pandemic beginning in February 2022, and agency leadership says the pause in automated reminders is a reason behind the decision to forgive the failure to pay penalties. While the IRS plans to resume sending out normal collection notices, the Tuesday announcement is meant as one-time relief. Under the briefly heading Ukraine War, Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky said Tuesday he's certain the United States will provide billions in further aid and dismissed suggestions Moscow's forces have come out of 2023 on top, even as Russian President Vladimir Putin contends his country's military is well positioned to achieve Moscow's goal. Capital Riot, Former North Carolina Proud Boys leader Charles Donahoe was sentenced Tuesday to more than three years behind bars for joining a plot to attack the U.S. Capitol on January the 6th, 2021. President Slane, a federal judge in Miami, sentenced former Haitian Senator John Joel Joseph to life in prison Tuesday for conspiring to kill Haiti's President Jovenel Moise uh, in 2021 which caused unprecedented turmoil in the Caribbean nation. Water recycling. California regulators approved new rules Tuesday to let water agencies recycle wastewater into drinking water, only the second state after Colorado to approve such statewide regulations. Sudan conflict. Sudan's powerful parliamentary force said Tuesday, it took the strategic city of Wad Madani a haven for hundreds of thousands of displaced people as the rapid support forces and army battle for control of the country. And Iraq elections. Iraq's first provincial elections in a decade saw a relatively low turnout of 41% that largely benefited traditional parties, according to results announced Tuesday by the country's election authorities. Let's read this article about carbon capture. Energy producers rely on controversial process to meet emissions standards. It's written by Michael Phyllis of the Associated Press. The future of fossil fuels took center stage at the recent United Nations Climate Summit in Dubai, where many activists, experts and nations called for an agreement to phase out the oil, gas and coal responsible for warming the planet. On the other side were energy companies and oil-rich nations with plans to keep drilling well into the future. In the background of those discussions were carbon capture and carbon removal technologies that most, if not all, producers count on to meet their pledges to get to net zero emissions. Skeptics worry the technology is being oversold to allow the industry to maintain the status quo. The industry needs to commit to genuinely helping the world meet its energy needs and climate goals which means letting go of the illusion that implausibility implausibly large amounts of carbon capture are the solution international energy agency executive director Fatih Birol said what is carbon capture lots of industrial facilities like coal-fired power plants and ethanol plants produce carbon dioxide To stop those planet-warming emissions from reaching the atmosphere, businesses can install equipment to separate that gas from all the other gases coming out of the smokestack and transport it to where it can be permanently stored underground. And even for industries trying to reduce emissions, some are likely to always produce some carbon, like cement manufacturers that use a chemical process that releases CO2. We call that a mitigation technology, a way to stop the increased concentrations of CO2 in the atmosphere, said Carl Hosker, an expert on getting to net zero emissions at World Resources Institute, a climate focused nonprofit that supports sharp fossil fuel reductions, along with a limited role for carbon capture. Then there's carbon removal. Instead of capturing carbon from a single concentrated source, The objective is to remove carbon that's already in the atmosphere. This already happens when forests are restored, for example, but there's a push to deploy technology too. One type directly captures it from the air using chemicals to pull out carbon dioxide as air passes through. For some, carbon removal is essential during a global transition to clean energy that will take years. And some industries, like shipping and aviation, are challenging efforts to fully decarbonize. We have to remove some of what's in the atmosphere in addition to stopping the emissions, said Jennifer Petridge, who leads the federally supported Lawrence Livermore National Laboratories Carbon Initiative in the U.S., the world's second leading emitter of gra- greenhouse gases. How is it going? Many experts say the technology to capture carbon and store it works, but it's expensive and still in the early days of deployment. There are about 40 large-scale carbon capture projects in operation around the world, capturing roughly 45 million metric tons of carbon dioxide each year, according to the International Energy Agency. That's a tiny amount. Roughly 0.1% of the 36.8 billion metric tons emitted globally as tallied by the global carbon project. The pace of new projects is picking up, but they face significant obstacles. In the United States, there's opposition to CO2 pipelines that move carbon to storage sites. Safety is one concern. In 2020, a CO2 pipeline in Mississippi ruptured releasing carbon dioxide that displaced breathable air near the ground and sent dozens of people to hospitals. The federal government is working on improving safety standards. Who supports carbon capture? The American Petroleum Institute says oil and gas will remain a critical energy source for decades, meaning that in order for the world to reduce its carbon emissions, rapidly expanding carbon capture technology is key to cleaner energy use across the economy. A check of most oil companies' plans to get to net zero emissions also finds most of them relying on carbon capture in some way. The Biden administration wants more investment in carbon capture and removal too, building off America's comparatively large spending compared with the rest of the world, but it's an industry that needs subsidies to attract private financing. The Inflation Reduction Act makes tax benefits much more generous. Investors can get a $180 per ton credit for removing carbon from the air and storing it underground, for example. And the Department of Energy has billions to support new products. Who's against it? Some environmentalists argue that fossil fuel companies are holding up carbon capture to distract from the need to quickly phase out oil, gas, and coal. The fossil fuel industry has proven itself to be dangerous and deceptive, said Shay Wolf, climate science director at Center for Biological Diversity. There are other problems. Some projects haven't met their carbon removal targets a 2021 U.S. government accountability report said that of eight demonstration projects aimed at capturing and storing carbon from coal plants, just one had started operating despite hundreds of millions of dollars in funding. Opponents also note that carbon capture can serve to prolong the life of a, pol- of a polluting plant that would otherwise shut down sooner. That can especially hurt poorer minority communities that have long lived near heavy polluting facilities. Now I'll read an article entitled, Skip the Surprise. When giving a pet as a holiday present, it's better to get the recipient involved first. It's written by Leanne Itali of the Associated Press. Adrian Mishler was still grieving the loss of her beloved Blue Heeler mix when her boyfriend at the time surprised her with a Christmas puppy that was nearly identical I wasn't quite ready to fall in love with another animal, she said. At the same time, looking back, I was also really blessed with an opportunity to pour my love into something other some other thing when I was feeling down and sad and alone. That was twenty fourteen. Today her Benji is adored by more than twelve million people who see him regularly on camera, cuddling close or sleeping nearby in videos on her YouTube channel Yoga with Adrian. There was a happy ending for Mishler and Benji, but that's not always the case when it comes to surprising someone with a new pet, especially amid the chaos of the holiday season. Giving a pet as a blind gift, as a blind gift, isn't recommended, but offering one without the surprise element and with a little planning can enrich the lives of animals and humans alike. That's especially important now when shelters and rescue groups are experiencing crisis level numbers of animals due to the economy and higher costs for supplies. In response to the overflow, shelter operators and animal welfare organizations have urged a more one-on-one conversational approach to screening new homes rather than the arduous written questionnaires of the past that we that are now perceived as unnecessary barriers to some adoptions. But the new approach often requires the participation of prospective pet owners. That removes the wow factor and photo op of leaving a dog or cat under the tree with no preparation and a big red bow. Instead, more shelters have turned to Santa-adorned gift certificates that are worthy of Christmas Day. They also suggest wrapping up all the supplies a pet will need and letting gift recipients choose their own animals later. If an actual animal will be turned over on the big day, some shelters will dispatch staff or trained volunteers to deliver, answer questions, and facilitate the settling-in process. They always say the animal will pick you. Let that process happen. Having the recipient be part of the process is helpful, said Jackson Galaxy, cat behaviorist and host of Animal Planet's My Cat from Hell, who has worked in animal welfare for 30 years. Some argue that introducing a pet during the stressful holiday season is wrong-headed. Others think it's fine so long as it's done with care. Galaxy can't speak for the humans involved, but said in regard to rescue pets, we have to weigh it out. Was their day at the shelter any more stressful than their day in a new home? He and others also point to the debunked notion that more animals are relinquished after the holidays. Available data suggests that isn't widespread, but common sense in bestowing animals as holiday presents should prevail. You want to make sure that if you're going to give an animal for a gift, that the person actually is looking to add a pet to their family, said Lindsay Hamrick Director of Shelter Outreach and Engagement for the Humane Society of the United States. Her organization partners with more than 400 shelters and rescue groups across the U.S. Typically, diligent shelters make sure that parents getting a pet for their children choose one that is kid-friendly, Hamrick said. The same sensibility goes for adult children who want to give a pet to a senior parent. Make sure that the parent is excited about it and has talked about wanting a pet for a while, she said. You need a sense of what that person might be looking for. In the high desert of Utah, Best Friends Animal Society has seen them all on its 8,000 acres near Zion National Park. Horses, bunnies, birds, dogs, cats, pigs, and a range of relinquished or injured wildlife. It's a great time for shelters to promote animals, for rescue groups to promote animals because people are looking for pets during the holidays, said Best Friends CEO Julie Castle. We recommend that everybody who's part of the family is on board with getting a new pet. Best Friends doesn't support blind gift adoptions, she said. But she, Galaxy, and others are more hopeful than not when pets are given as gifts. All of the data suggests that even when it's a surprise, the return rate for those pets is not any higher than a pet that you go and deliberately, with intention, choose. Most people, when they end up with an animal, that animal becomes part of their life. But it is our recommendation that you go together as a family to pick out the pet, Castle said. Blind gifting shouldn't be motivated by what a gift giver thinks a recipient needs or wants. That includes offering up a cat to a non-cat owner in hopes they will fall in love or presenting a new pet soon after an existing one has died, though Mishler and Benji are going strong. What if a person wanted a specific look, size, or breed? In New York, Waggy Tail Rescue founder Holly Dorito sees the downside of surprise gifting. I just got a call yesterday from Animal Control. There was a potential adopter for a dog. But it turned out it was a gift adoption, a boyfriend to a girlfriend. She didn't want the dog, so they returned him, Doritos said. Katie Hansen, Director of Marketing and Communications for the Nonprofit Animal Care Centers of New York, a large network of shelters, said her systems takes twenty to thirty thousand animals a year, including companion animals, goats, and chickens. Like shelters across the country, we are experiencing a decrease in adoptions. I mean, we're struggling. We need to get the animals out, she said, but it is never a good idea to give someone a pet as a surprise. Castle did some debunking on another front, the idea that giving a new animal leads to widespread displacement of existing pets. It's kind of an urban myth. I mean, does it happen? Yes. Percentage-wise, is it significant? No, she said. Christy Buscella shelter director for North Shore Animal League America also isn't on board with blind gifting, especially at the holidays. It's a very hectic time of year for some people and for families. You have trees and decorations and all sorts of things, she said. In June, Matthew Aversa and his husband opened the Winding Branch Ranch on nearly nine acres in Boverde, Texas, to rescue, rehab, and rehome farm and ranch animals. The two are confident in their rigorous screening process when it comes to adoptions. At the moment, it's all about piglets. I'm indifferent to the gifting part, Aversa said. We're getting calls every day. They want to buy them for their wives, their kids, their husbands. If they have the space, it's great. They need homes. Now we'll move on to the sports page and our first. Story has to do with the men's basketball top 25 roundup. It's entitled Carter Scores 22 as Friars Upset number 6 Golden Eagles. Devin Carter scored 22 points with 8 rebounds to lead Providence to a 72-57 victory over number 6 Marquette on Tuesday night, the third time in five seasons that the unranked Friars have beaten a Golden Eagles team in the Associated Press top 25. Carter made five three-pointers and ticket gains and also had five from beyond the arc to score 18 for Providence, which has not lost at home to Marquette since 2019. In the first Big East game for New Providence coach Kim English, the Friars posted their largest win over a top-10 opponent since beating number 8 Villanova 83-68 in January of the year 2011. Reigning Big East Player of the Year, Tyler Kolek, had twenty one points, nine rebounds, and five assists for Marquette. The Golden Eagles led by five early before Providence scored twelve of the next fifteen points to take the lead for good with just under twelve minutes left in the first half. It was a thirty to twenty seven Friars lead before they finished the half with a ten to two run to make it forty to twenty nine a 10-0 providence run midway through the second made it 60 to 41 the golden eagles got within 64 to 53 in the final 4 minutes before two fouls were called against marquette on the same play resulting in four free throws for josh oduro he missed the first two and made the second two to preserve the double digit lead Gaines scored 12 points and Carter had 11 with six rebounds at the break for Providence, which settled in after missing its first six three point attempts. Cam Jones scored 13 for Marquette. Number 23, Memphis, 77. Number 22, Virginia, 54. David Jones scored 26 points. Caleb Mills added 11, and Memphis built a second half lead to pull away from visiting Virginia. Jones was 8-of-15 from the floor, including 2-of-3 from outside the arc as Memphis won its fourth straight game. Reese Beekman led the Cavaliers with 13 points, while Jake Groves added 12 points. Ryan Dunn finished with 11 points, 11 rebounds, and a pair of blocks as Virginia saw its five-game winning streak snapped. While Virginia's defense is ranked high in several categories, it was the Memphis pressure and the Tigers' style that allowed them to hold a double-digit lead midway through the second half. Virginia got down early and could never really recover. A major factor was its 18 turnovers, 15 of them by Memphis steals. The Cavaliers came in averaging 8 turnovers per game. Number 20, James Madison, 87, Coppin State, 48, T.J. Bickerstaff scored 18 points on 8 of 9 shooting and grabbed 7 rebounds to lead James Madison past visiting Coppin State. Terrence Edwards Jr. added 16 points for the Dukes. And Julian Wooden finished with 13 points, 6 rebounds, and 4 steals. Justin Winston had 13 points and 8 rebounds to lead Coppin State. 10 different Dukes scored with 4 and double figures, including Noah Friedel with 10. Number 25, Mississippi, 74, Troy, 53. Matthew Morrell scored 18 points and added 10 steals, and Mississippi improved, staying perfect with a win over visiting Troy. Jamine Brakefield scored 17 points. Jalen Murray added 16 points, and Allen Flanagan had 13 points and a game high, eight assists and seven rebounds for the Rebels. Taton. Connor away led Troy with 13 points, while Amer Muhammad added 11. In college football, Washington's DeBoer is AP Coach of the Year. Kalen DeBoer landing the job at Washington two years ago seemed to be an unheralded transaction at the time. It has turned out to be a shrewd decision by the Huskies. One might say it's been perfect. DeBoer was named the Associated Press Coach of the Year on Tuesday after leading the Huskies to a 13-0 record, the Pac-12 championship, and a spot in the college football playoff in just his second year in charge at Washington. The Huskies will face Texas in the Sugar Bowl on January 1st with a spot in the CFP championship game on the line. In two seasons, the Huskies are 24-2, leaving behind the bitter memory of a four and eight record in 2021 that led to a change and brought DeBoer to Washington. It's all about the people around me. This is a team award, DeBoer said. DeBoer received 30 of 52 first place votes and had 113 points overall from AP top 25 poll voters to easily outpace Florida State's Mike Norvell, DeBoer is the first Washington coach ever to be named the AP Coach of the Year and just the third Pac-12 coach to win the award. From the NFL, Rodgers' return likely on hold. Aaron Rodgers' quest to make an improbable return this season for the New York Jets appears over. The 40-year-old quarterback said during his weekly appearance on the Pat McAfee show, On Tuesday, he's not yet 100% healthy in his recovery from a torn left Achilles tendon and is still a few weeks away. I'm not going to slow my rehab down, Rogers said. I'm going to keep attacking it every single day, but now without a timetable to come back, obviously we can be as smart as we need to be. Rogers said if the Jets had won last Sunday at Miami and remained in the postseason hunt, he would have pushed it as far as I could this week even at less than fully healthy, to be ready to play against Washington on Sunday. But the Jets were routed 30-0 to and eliminated from the playoff hunt for the 13th straight year. If I was 100% today, I'd be definitely pushing to play, Rogers said. But the fact is, I'm not. Rogers never firmly said he won't play this season, but strongly indicated that is the case. I think the whole time it's been, you know, hoping... That were still in it because it was unrealistic to think that I would be 100% to be medically cleared at any point during the regular season. Rogers said, "I do feel like in the next three to four weeks it will be very possible to get 100%, but obviously I'm not there." Tuesday's results from the NBA: Memphis defeated New Orleans 115 to 113, Milwaukee 132, San Antonio 119. Portland 109, Phoenix 104, and Golden State 132, Boston 126 in overtime. NHL scores from Tuesday, Philadelphia 3, New Jersey 2 in overtime, Columbus 9, Buffalo 4, Tampa Bay 6, St. Louis 1, New York Rangers 5, Toronto 2, Carolina 6, Vegas 3, Minnesota 4, Boston 3 in overtime, New York Islanders 3, Edmonton 1, Vancouver 5, Nashville 2, Chicago 3, Colorado 2, Arizona 4, Ottawa 3, and Los Angeles 4, San Jose 1. That brings us to the end of today's reading in the Sioux City Journal. I'm your reader, Scott Spivick. Thanks for sharing your time with IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind.